of the play, you know, of the act is to, is to remind us of what God has done. It's to almost, God, God is challenging us through tradition to take yourself back, try to take yourself back at that time. And so that's actually what's happening at Easter. Easter week is about taking yourself back and saying, Holy Spirit, give me the grace to be a first century individual and seeing what's happening. So, so there's three goals of Holy Week. It builds toward Easter, okay? It's supposed to build toward Easter. And this is very important. So, so because Easter doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Jesus doesn't just die and rise. There's stuff that's going on uh, that, that, that the Lord wants us to, to understand so that when you get to Easter, your religious affections are stirring. Right? We need to relive and realize the reality of Christ's work on the cross, uh, it's, it's, to, it's, it's not just to, to know intellectually, but at some level, Jesus wants us to actually, like, relive it and see it. And, and, and we see this in somewhat in theater, right? You know, you, you ever seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ? Very intense. And you find yourself almost like you, you see the theatrics of Satan. You see all these, and you kind of find yourself, like, reliving it. And you're like, man. And it's like highly, it, it stirs in you, Right? Uh, it's sad that Hollywood gets it and they kind of like can, can, you know, hook it up like that. And then we, we have that calendar. We have that calendrical liturgic, uh, liturgy and we can come sometimes bypass it. But it's very important. It proclaims the reality of Christ and Easter to the world. So when you think of, of this concept of Palm Sunday, understanding what's happening on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, that, that Jesus has been there and he's been uh, doing all these things and he's been kind of covert and people don't really know what to say about him yet. Because people have tried to give, uh, you know, say, this is who you are. And he says, be quiet, not yet. It's not time yet. Because if we say that now, I'll die. But I haven't accomplished my mission, so you can't say that yet. And all of a sudden you have this triumphal entry where he says, it's on. Let's do it. It goes in. You go on and continue. Everyone's making speculation. Now everyone's upset. And now you go into Monday, Thursday, where he sits his guys down, and he's been with these men. They've seen miraculous things happen. And they know that he's, he's powerful, and, and they've, they've said he's king, but you kind of don't know because he's broke and he's dirty, and you, you're kind of trying to figure it out, and they don't really get it yet. And he tells them, look, you're going to be like me, Okay? And what I need you to do is I need you to be continually forgiving each other. I need you to continually be washing each other. I need you to continue to be those people who are going to usher in the kingdom. Continue to remind the world that my body was broken for them, that my blood was shed for them. And they're like, oh, okay. They still don't get it, though. Can you imagine? They still don't get it. Then their king on Good Friday, who's just served them, they've seen these miraculous things happen. He dies. He doesn't just die. He's mutilated. He's embarrassed. Their Lord is on a cross. Can you imagine you're with someone, you've given all of who you are, you've, you've quit your job, you've told your wife and kids, I'll be back. You've given everything. It's, it, it, it pales in comparison to the things we've given up here. I think you've done something, you, we, we live here and, and all this stuff. That's nothing, giving up everything. And the very king that you thought was going to usher in a kingdom, the whole kingdom that you have put together yourself, is killed. Now what? You see? You see what Holy Week does? It takes you on that journey. Now what? 
And Jesus wants you and me to remember that stuff, to think about it, be there. If not, here's some cautions. If we don't, now this, you know, some of you guys can just go to Easter Sunday and you can do all that during that time. But here's some cautions to why that can be problematic. What can happen if you, we can approach Easter without the proper context? I feel like with, I'm, I'm just proposing to you that some of us, when we, when we don't get the opportunity to live out the week, we don't get to experience that emotional journey, and then we get to Easter Sunday and we have absolutely no context. And we're kind of like, okay, I guess I'll, I'm here. And we can feel pressure to manufacture an emotional response. So you're there on Easter, you know, and everybody says, you know, good morning, he is risen, he's risen indeed. And you're kind of like, hey, you know, but there's no, there's no reservoir. You ain't been wrestling. You ain't been thinking about this stuff. But you know you got to be spiritual. You're a Christian. You're supposed to be happy. This is Resurrection Sunday, right? Right? And so you find yourself manufacturing that stuff. Maybe not, but I know that's been my case. So Easter is just a day you get dressed up. You kind of, you can get dressed up. You believe in a resurrection. Hear me here. I'm not, this is not about, are you a Christian? This is about, are you sucking the marrow out of the calendar that the Lord has given us to remember what he's done for you? I'm just proposing that our patriarchs and matriarchs of old had something when they spent time trying to just cultivate and, and frame an experience for us to never forget what our Savior did. So, Satan will try to trick us and go, man, I know they're going to do that same washing your feet thing and da 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 and the station of the cross. But I want to propose that's now it becomes a response. There's always a dual responsibility, right? I have a responsibility, and Leon, as your, as your leaders, to present and, and have the gospel laid bare before you. You have a responsibility to wrestle, to go on the journeys, okay? So I want us to, to reject the notion that the world tries to implant in the local church, to say, oh, man, you don't need, you don't need tradition. You just, just mute, mute Jesus in your Bible. That's ahistorical. That's unbiblical. Jesus would look at you and go, what, dude? What do you mean you and your Bible? Like, I created you a community. You see all these people? You are part of an organism. Think about just you. Live it. Be a part of your family. It's not, this is not a guilt trip. I'm trying to just help you understand what people were thinking in the first century. And that we might want to think twice about saying, I know y'all wrestle for thousands of years, but, you know, I'm 36. I got it. You know, I never, you know, I came Christian when I was 18. I'm off the chain. I was, I was with Campus Crusade for Christ. Come on now. I know how to do redemptive history. Right? It's kind of arrogant. Just a, just a, a pastoral challenge because I love you. So if you get an opportunity, come out. If you're visiting right now because you're here for the baby dedications in your own tradition, Man, go and experience the gospel. Uh, our people, invite. Invite people into that week, into that story. Invite, invite, invite. This is King Jesus. Tell the world what your Savior did. So that leads us to why we are here today. If you notice, we've got these beautiful lilies. This is absolutely unbelievable. One of our sisters did this. It's because we are celebrating. We're going to pause on Proverbs Obviously, you understand now why, okay? 
Because I think it's crazy to keep going through something else when we have this, this, this Super Bowl week of Christianity before us, okay? And I'm talking about, you know, game one. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's crazy. Super Bowl, bruh. So, so we're going to pause on Proverbs. We'll be back soon. Um, today, what I want to do is I want us to think about what happens on Palm Sunday, and that is the triumphal entry. Okay? I want us to consider what's going on um, when we talk about the triumphal entry. And then we're going to continue on throughout the week. We would love to have you at everything so that you can go through that story. If you can't be at everything, praise the Lord. That's okay. In your own time, process that stuff, man. Learn our history. Okay? All right. So um, let's hit uh, the triumphal entry. Again, if you, I'm going to have some scriptures up, up here. Uh, oh, Easter is not a day for me, but those who, who we invite. I'm sorry. Let me just hit that. I propose to you, when this doesn't happen, Easter in itself becomes like, like you're, you're at Easter, but you don't even think it's for you. Like you kind of like, I'm saved. I, I, I know this. Oh, yeah, the resurrection. Okay. I, I brought Jenny here. That's why I'm here. Right? And you can kind of see it as just evangelistic because there's no context that you've added to it. And I want to propose to you, although it is extremely evangelistic, because it should be, because this is when our Savior rose from the dead to say, I'm the conqueror of all, and you can conquer with me. At the same time, that's part of your story, is that it's, it's evangelistic, but it's missional, and you are adding into that journey. So those are some things I, um, I've seen. So now we're going to hit Luke 19, verse 28 through 44, looking at the triumphal entry. Okay, guys? And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet. <clears throat> he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Hmm. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Hmm. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you 
because you do not know the time of your visitation. This is God's word. Amen. Please, please be seated. Okay. Um, question on the table that I wanted to make really clear today from the scriptures is Jesus is trying to make something extremely clear in a triumphal entry. Uh, I'll propose to you that this is his public declaration of his kingship. Jesus has gone on for a while, people speculating, and now uh, he wants everyone in this room right now to understand clearly, without apology, that he is the king of the universe. That's the point of the triumphal entry. I want to start by just going through the verses. And what I want you to see is I think there's three probably main ways in this text. Uh, these, this, this has partner text. I mean, you can, go, you can find actually another three ways uh, in John. Uh, there's many different uh, frameworks that Jesus used to, to make clear his kingship. We're just going to look at Luke. But I would challenge you to go to the Synoptic Gospel, the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, and compare, and you'll see even more clear evidence of Jesus trying to make sure that the lines are not blurred anymore. Because he wants us all to have to make a decision during this time. It says, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, uh, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount that he called Olivet. Uh, the map I had before was basically just giving you a snapshot of where Jerusalem was, um, where Beth, you know, Bethany is, and uh, just understanding the road he was taking. Uh, you know, he was like a few hundred feet below sea level, and then he goes almost 3,000 feet uh, above sea level. Uh, big, a big journey, right? And um, during this time, uh, I want you to understand a little bit about New Testament geography. Bethpage was a suburb of Jerusalem. Uh, you see that in your scriptures there. Uh, just letting you know, it was kind of like a little, the nice area, nice place of, of Jerusalem. Bethany, as you guys are probably uh, very well familiar with, is a, a place where a lot of Jesus' friends live. Bethany gets a lot of airplay in the scriptures. Uh, you got Martha, you got, you got Mary, uh, Lazarus, Rising. Uh, all those things are happening in Bethany. So he had like a good crew uh, in that town. And also, Bethany is a place where uh, he uh, ascends. Uh, so you got a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on there, very important place, okay? Uh, this is kind of the, the geography uh, that we're dealing with as we discuss uh, these very important passages of the triumphal entry. It's located about two miles east of Jerusalem on the eastern slope on, on the Mount of Olives. Uh, just giving you this very, very close uh, to Jerusalem, which I propose it being outside the city. I think there's some theological reasoning behind that. Can't go into it today, but it's very important theologically why he's outside of the city, because we like him. We stand outside of the city and prophesy against it, but that's another issue. It says he sent, he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, where um, on entering you will find a coat tied on which none... Uh, no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, the coat, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. 
Uh, so those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as he, they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? He said, the Lord has need of it. This brings to the first, the first clear declaration uh, that Jesus gives uh, you and I, specifically in this room and these people in the first century, that he uh, is king. Uh, this is the whole reality of the use of the donkey, is that in this use of the donkey, what he's doing is he's fulfilling scripture. Okay? Uh, let me just give you some snapshots about the donkey. They were known for strength. Uh, they were usually used for nobility. We don't get this now, but in the mindset of first century Jew, they got these things. So you got to, again, put your mindset and put yourself in that mindset. Uh, and, and notice specifically that he wanted a cult that was unridden. Okay? Uh, again, marking the sense of, of kingship. Like everybody didn't jump on the king's horse. Okay? It was just his. So Jesus' use of the donkey. Um, also, we see in Zechariah 9.9, we see him basically fulfilling scripture. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now, why is it so important that he's on a donkey? Uh, he's on this donkey right now, and people are yelling, and, oh, they're so excited. Uh, and notice, uh, notice the, the contrast from verses 11 uh, through 16 of Revelation 19. So here he is. He's on a little donkey, okay, and there he's riding in. But look what it says here. Uh, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So in this picture, you have the same Jesus, and he's on a white horse, faithful and true. And his roles, he judges and he makes war. You see the contrast? Let me continue on. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. In the donkey, what we see, we see a Jesus, as he comes, his arms are outstretched, right? It says, he is clothed here in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want you to continue to think about that. Think about... Revelation 19, and then think about what we're looking at right here in Luke, okay? And I want you to think about that as we continue to see what's happening in this story and what's happening in this story when he comes back. You have the triumphal entry, as it were, Jesus coming, and you have his second coming. The point here is that Jesus is initiating a public and kingly act. He's saying, I want, it to be, I want to be very clear that the Messiah, this, this, this king that you're looking for, is here. Here I am. My arms are outstretched. I'm here to welcome you. 
I'm here to be your king. Will you receive me? Verse 35, it says, And they brought it to Jesus, the, the colt, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, which leads me to my second reason that Jesus was clearly proclaiming a, a declaratory act of him being king. He accepts a lot of important symbols. You'll see this uh, as you look at all the different scriptures uh, in, the, in the Gospels, but specifically here, we see it with the cloak. It says in 2 Kings 9.13, clothing was used to carpet another's pathway, right? It says, then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So we have here an example of a king coming, and they're throwing their garments down. Very intentional for Jesus, because he wanted us to, he, he wanted people to gain that picture. Wow, you're doing stuff like kings do. Main point, Jesus silently affirms their decision to treat him as royalty. Here they are doing these things, and he's not going, no, 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 no. He's totally welcoming it, and he should, because he's king. What I love about this is I, I put, remember 1 Samuel. I want you guys, if you ever get a chance, do a study on 1 Samuel, because what, what this shows me, and when I was looking at uh, Jesus coming, I thought to myself, like, wow, people were so wanting him to be a political king. People were so wanting him to be a king that he did not want to be. And so this was throwing people off, uh, this kind of king, a king that they're thinking, okay, you're going to take over now. But when I think of 1 Samuel, it reminds me of that book because people wanted to reject their God king. They said, give us a human king, God. Why? Because they thought, man, it's just not sexy having you as king. Nobody sees you. I look stupid praying to somebody we can't see. And you're supposed to deliver me. I'm supposed to believe that. And everybody's just supposed to know that. This is not cool. I like having a really big guy with crowns and, and all this cool stuff. And he walks in and people can recognize him and say, oh, there's your king. So people in Samuel were willing to have a political human king versus a true king of the universe. And I just thought to myself, like, man, that's so, that's so tragic. Because I, I see myself, you, you think of, you know, President, you think President Obama. You think, okay, maybe he can, you know, go overseas and talk with, you know, Israel and, and build some peace treaties. But he can't heal cancer. He, you know, maybe he could, you know, he, he can make our economy, you know, he can talk to, you know, Congress and they can try to balance the budget. But he can't create money. He can't create peace and safety. He can't do anything with my eternal salvation. He can't provide any healing. He can't provide any guidance in life. He can't provide any joy. He can't bless me with a beautiful wife. He can't allow us to be with child. He can't allow me to experience healing when I have a sickness. And I thought, man, how quickly are we to settle for a political king who can do human things when God has given us a king who can do everything? And so what you see, remember 1 Samuel. 
Because Jesus is saying, I'm coming again to give you an opportunity to treat me, your true king, as royalty. And not to worry about if I have all the trimmings or if I look the right part or if I do the right things in your mind. He first shows clearly by providing a donkey that's unwritten to say, here I am. I'm coming into my city, into my world as king. Will you accept me? And then he provides accepting symbols and saying, yes, I'm glad you, I'm glad you put your clothes down because I'm worthy. He continues on, guys. The scriptures tell us that it was, things are drawing near. Uh, they're already on the way to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they have seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, they shout out. Okay, can you imagine this? So you know he has popularity. People know him, all right? But you've you got all this different talk, all this different talk. But now people are going on another level, and they're shouting praise that's worthy of God. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teach, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. His final declaration to you and me today, public declaration, because after this, he's doing some secretive stuff. He's, he's saying things to people, but it's not public. This is out in the public. His final public declaration before the cross is right here. It's his reaction to the words of the people. So we see, him, we see him clearly provide uh, animals and how animals are treated and, and how you use an animal, clothing, different symbols, and now the issue of people. Psalm 118 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21, they, said, they shout Hosanna to the son of David. These are some other ways they were just, this is all this stuff. Imagine this now. Okay, you see the crowds, everyone's shouting and everything, and and, and, and you, can, you can tell that the, the, the Pharisees are probably upset the whole time, okay? But you can't, like, they couldn't wild out. They couldn't get upset because then they would look stupid. So they're kind of sitting there like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, you know? But they're listening for something to be able to say, aha, now we got you. And so that's what's happening here. They're, they're frustrated the whole time. And now things are being said where they're like, wait a minute, now you've crossed the line. Blessed is the king of Israel? What are you talking about? Stop these people. They're saying things that they should not be saying unless it's true. Conclusion, guys. Jesus came to creation as king. Okay? Here's what's happening. Jesus came to creation as king. And what he does in this entry, what he does for you and me, is he comes, and he comes with his hands outstretched, and he's saying, I'm here. He comes, and he comes with a welcoming tone. He comes as a king of peace. The triumphal entry is saying, I'm giving you peace. Will you receive me? Contrast that, because please make no mistake about it. When he comes back in Revelation 19, he will not come back as a king with his arms outstretched. Do you understand that? That's not popular. He will not come back saying, come to me, please. 
He will come back with the sword from his mouth. He will come back and the scriptures say that there will be so much destruction and mutilation of those who he's warring against that his, his robe will be filthy with blood because of all the destruction of those who hated the Savior. He will come back as a mighty judge and he will destroy and kill every person who did not bow their knee in submission to the king. We don't like to hear that. This is Jesus saying, I want and I'm begging you, I'm giving you an opportunity right now to experience me on a donkey. You do not want to experience me on a white horse. That's the tenor here. What do you do? What do you do? Simple and profound. Grace. What Jesus does, is he says, if you agree that I'm king and you're not, you agree that you are a sinner and you're evil and you need a savior. You need a king. You desperately need washing. He says, believe and repent. Repent of your sin and say, I can't believe I had the audacity to think I could be my own king, Jesus. I repent of that madness. And I come to you right now. I don't know how, but I believe you're my king. Will you save me? Jesus says, yes. The scriptures are clear that when we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he says, you shall be saved. Not by nothing you've done. You're evil, remember? Not by nothing you're going to do, but by his grace. The very king who came and people spat on him, he, he, was, he was directing and putting the breaths in their body so that they could be allowed to kill him. He was sustaining them to even murder himself. In that, he extends his arms and says, come. See, notice the end of that part. I can't get into it fully, but notice the end where he goes. Notice how weird it is, guys. He goes into the city and everybody's worshiping him. They're praising. You got the palm branches and everything. And yet he's still kind of sober. He's not like, yeah, by the time y'all got this, hey. That's not Jesus' disposition. He's sober. Have you noticed that? You say, well, prove that, Eric. Look at the end of the verses. What does it say? It says, he, when he got into the city, he weeped. How you gonna weep at your party? They're praising him. It says Jesus started crying. Why? See, we can, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can distort the gospel on the cross when we think he's crying because like, oh my goodness, this is gonna really hurt on Friday. Right? That's not why he's crying. Although all craziness, I always tell this local body that try and train us that the point of the cross wasn't ooch and ouch, although that's important. The point was Jesus took on the sin of the world. And I'm proposing to you the reason why he was crying, because he was looking around and he was looking at people that he knew one day he would have to destroy. Because they wouldn't repent. 
And he's looking around, he's going, oh, Jerusalem. I'm out here right now on this donkey telling you I'm king. And my hands are open. And you won't receive me. And I'm going to come back. And I'm going to have to destroy you because I'm fully just and holy. And it breaks my heart. But I'm going to do it. Do you understand why we have a missional mantle now? Do you understand why if you say you love Jesus, the mode of operation, everything you're about should be at some level. Your job, every aspect of you should be making this known that the king is here right now. And by his grace, his hands are still stretched out. But one day, he will be on a white horse. And those who are co-heirs will be with him. And we will destroy everyone who did not see Jesus as king. That's why we share our faith. That's why you have people over for dinner. That's why we live and have our being. You're not here just to save your money and consume and be about yourself when God is going to come back and totally destroy people when he says, no, I've given you the mantle. I've made you born again. Now you go out and tell the world, show them my love. Have your hands outstretched too so they can see the gospel. They can see your love and your sacrifice. Retell the story of the cross. Allow and give the world an opportunity to repent because if not one day, this will not be the same entry. This is a triumphal entry. He is king. We get to meet him on a mule. One day, he will be on a white horse. Think about it. Bow your heads, please. Dear Jesus, your word is sobering. I know people feel uncomfortable right now. I know people are going, man, why did he focus on that? And I hope that we all have the humility to say because it's biblical. Because, Lord, you came triumphant and your arms are open. Why are they open? Because you are gracious and loving and kind. And you look at people who totally dogs you and you give us an opportunity to receive you as king. But, Lord, thank you that you gave us the whole counsel of your word. Thank you, Lord that we haven't fooled ourselves in thinking that's all of you who you are, but one day you will come back. And we pray, Lord, we would have that urgency as we are your people. Give us joy this week. Allow us to see your story for what it is, not what we want it to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for being triumphant. In Christ's name, amen.